And boom, we're back for another episode of AlphaCast. I'm Mike Winner, and I'm here as always with the illuminated Dr. Bear Paul Lando coming to you live and direct from the beautiful uh, Smith River in the great state of Jefferson, where freedom reigns supreme, uh, falls full effect. We got our first hard frost uh, uh, warning last night, Bear. I had cloth running out, putting fleece over my peppers because I haven't transplanted them, but I do have all my low tunnels set up. And I will be, we had our first green salad, fall green salad last night with some pizza uh, we, I made. Uh, so I was ahead of the game a little bit and have my brassicas kicking and we'll be enjoying a lot of fresh greens uh, as we move into the fall. And yeah, everything's going great over here. Everything's going great at the farm. Uh, Bear, any updates on the farm before we bring Howdy McCoskey in today? No, uh, Michael, I can tell you're eating very well by your aura today. So uh, very good. And uh, no, let's get right into it. And okay. I'm excited to uh, get this talk on. A lot of good stuff. Okay, awesome. One thing else I uh, just wanted to uh, bring to people's attention. Uh, Josh Del Sol, a good friend of ours, did a wonderful edit uh, following Bear Lando on the farm uh, over a year ago. That is now available. He's launched his channel on Unite.Live. Uh, which we are streaming on right now. Go check it out. Uh, it's a wonderful one-on-one -on -one with Bear Lando. Uh, so please go check that out. And also we have our official Music and Sky sweatshirt available on the store. Um, it's uh, right. I've been wearing it a lot. Uh, you can support us at musicandsky.com. If you can see it here, uh, I'd really appreciate if you guys were there to go buy a sweatshirt. We barely broke even on the event. It's a lot of work and we're looking to uh, monetize by selling awesome swag. So uh, it'd be great if you guys want to support us there. And um, we are mere moments away from launching the new Alphavedic site. Um, I'm stoked. I finally got all the I Am The Living Law stuff up. We're working on the final things. So thank you guys for being so patient with us there. I know that we've been talking about it for so long, but it's not easy to launch your own platform the way we're doing it and as a small family operation. And, uh, and we have some uh, new content uh, on the way uh, in many forms. Uh, some things we can't talk about yet. Uh, very exciting. So we'll hit the ground running for the new members. Also, uh, my son, the uh, design director for Alpha Vedic, uh, just sent me some new blanks uh, for our new releases for hoodies, for T-shirts, and uh, some of his new designs. And, and as people know, you know, they aren't just typical logo t-shirts. They're, they're pretty clever. They have a message. They're, uh, you know, top quality material and, and all that good stuff. So um, yeah, uh, a lot of good things are gonna be launched very soon here. And I know we keep promising, but it's actually happening. We've been I, working hard. I had to get past the harvest and uh, I've got the last of uh, herbs uh, drying right now that I'll probably be able to unload today. And then we're going to get next level into the uh, winter season and creative mode for our website. So uh, take it beautiful. away, Michael. Beautiful, beautiful. Uh, and I, that's an excuse for me to cruise over probably tomorrow to get the uh, my blanks. <laughs> Whenever Bryden sends stuff, it's like, I, I got to grab those because they're always amazing. Today, author... Howdy Mikowski joins AlphaCast for an insightful discussion to question what we believe to be true and whether or not we are following a life script of our own writing. 
How much of our life and experience is actually a byproduct of self-determination? Are most unwittingly following a life script written by others with less than benevolent intentions? Do these others insidiously operate on an unseen plane? Our guest, Howdy McCoskey, brings deep insight to these questions as a historian, author, and spiritual seeker. He is the author of several books, his most recent being Exit the Cave, Ending the Reincarnation Trap. After 25 years researching ancient civilizations, spiritual traditions, and history to reveal the lies within them, now he has turned his attention to the nature of reality itself. What is history, death, or consciousness? Using movies like Dark City, explorations into the creation stories of the Gnostics and Cathars, Plato's Cave, and the examination of near-death experiences, he hopes to find new pieces of the jigsaw puzzle to locate our true inner power. Quote, Question your thoughts, beliefs, reality, and the history of this world. Think for yourself about what you know and believe and why you have come to those concepts. Be prepared to go deep and be ready for unexpected twists as all topics from the holographic layers of reality beyond the material curtains, the mystery of the hidden sun, and the free energy technology and ancient architecture is all up for discussion. Bear Lando, uh, this is going to be a fun one today. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Howdy, I hope I did you justice in that write up there. So uh, if there's anything that isn't true, uh, you know, please correct me there. It sounded outstandingly good. It sounded like you're my PR representative. So we're ready to go. Okay. How much, uh, how much do you pay? (laughs) Uh, Well, yeah, we'll have to, we'll have to get my agent in to work on that, right? (laughs) Okay. Hey, howdy. Uh, Thanks so much for being with us today. You know, I'm really looking forward to this and all those topics. I'd like to, uh, you know, open up uh, discussions in each one of them. But as usual, we'll probably, you know, just uh, take as many uh, rabbit holes as we can possibly do in an hour and a half. And, uh, you know, you have a lot of uh, fans in our audience. We've had a lot of requests for you uh, over the months. And uh, it's long overdue that we have you here. And we appreciate you making time for us. Um, you know, I watched one of your recent uh, videos I really appreciated where you were in your bathrobe. And uh, I really related to it because uh, I spend the first uh, hour or two uh, in my bathrobe. In fact, for grins today, I was going to wear my bathrobe and I actually put it on. Uh, however, it was quite dirty because I spend uh, the first hour of my chores out, you know, feeding the chickens, picking slugs off of plants and laying irrigation uh, drip lines. And so it's it's pretty muddy and everything. This Anyway, uh, I related. But of course, the message I think you were trying to convey is that all of us are looking uh, or following our favorite YouTube personalities these days or influencers, however you want to uh, call it. And we really don't know each other. And, uh, you know, it's been a peculiar journey for me because I've always deliberately stayed incognito and then certain circumstances got me out a little bit more public in the last couple of years. And I watched the chat, uh, you know, I watch our Telegram group and all of our community, which are a lot of great people. But I also see a lot of vitriol of, uh, you know, people mm-hmm. arguing and, and discussing things not that kindly and then also taking pot shots at uh, you know, the influencers and things that they don't agree with, including myself. And I just think, isn't that interesting? Because they really don't know us other than a few snapshots on the screen. Uh, they don't follow us around all day and just watch us actually like live and, and you know, conduct our lives like we all do. 
and uh, you know we get our little few minutes out there. But uh, you know we're all I think uh, inclined to just you know jump to a lot of conclusions, which brings us I think to another part of your message that I really enjoy hearing, is that um, you know we're all engaged in a life script, and most of us would really think that we're calling the shots, making our own decisions. So uh, I've questioned for a long time how much of our choices are really of our own volition or are we following uh you know a script that's being played on another dimension and being programmed into us uh, i still hold steadfast to my belief that uh, we all have the potential to uh, engage in authentic free will and rise above those programmings and perhaps that's even the purpose why we embody in the first place i don't know that's just my hunch but um, I think that a lot of the people that I engage with, when they can't even wrap their minds around the, the outer surface mechanics of how our banking system and governmental systems and educational and medical systems work, you know, it's a pretty tough sell to go the next level and say, well, there's stuff going on interdimensionally that's affecting you as well. So, um, you know, that's uh, that's a lot I know, uh, but I just want to put that out as an introduction. And I really enjoy your work, and I think it's really timely, uh, your message. So uh, maybe for folks that aren't familiar with you yet, since you're, you know, new to AlphaCast here, if you could tell us a little bit, um, you know, briefly just about how you started this journey and how, uh, you know, that uh, engages in present time there. And uh, by the way, for the folks that don't know, Howdy, he is coming from us today from sunny Norway. And uh, so it's uh, yeah. we're in different time zones. So, so Howdy, thanks again. And uh, yeah. please, uh, you just uh, started off however you like. Well, okay, I can give you a, a short background for people because my life has been very strange. Like I've lived a very strange and, and at times quite difficult uh, life getting here. <clears throat> I grew up in, in Canada. I was a fairly normal hockey playing um, guy who drank too much and stayed out late too much and was a, you know a typical a typical Canadian, I guess, in the eighties and early nineties. Um, however, I had a, I had a side of, of entertainment and, and creativity. I became a stand up comedian for about. 14 years of my life. In the course of that time, though, as university was ending and the comedy career was starting, I had a couple of incidents. Uh, my father, who was a psychopath, um, stole all my money just before I went to finish university. And it created a massive change, of course, in my entire psyche and my entire way of seeing the world. I made it through that. And then my ex-girlfriend at the time was murdered. So right away, just as I was, you, when you're supposed to sort of move into young adult life, I had these really key events pull the, pull the wool out from under me and made me start inner questioning, why is the world set up the way it is? Why does the world act in, in, in this kind of fashion? Why can it, why can this even be? And I threw myself into a depression for three years because of course I found no answers. You know, I didn't have any, I had nowhere where I could go it was just inner seeking and no answers. Uh, the depression got so bad in 97, I wanted to actually kill myself. But I just couldn't find a good way to do it that I thought would be no mess. And a television program came on. And it was a Nova pyramid building program, a, a program that in my book that I wrote on in ancient Egypt, I kind of, uh, you know, went against the, everything they said in the program. But I have great um, feeling for it because it changed my life. Instantly, I knew at that moment, okay, the study of ancient Egypt and their wisdom was important. 
But once I started digging into it, uh, the combination of realizing I can't think like a modern person, I have to think like somebody in the ancient world. So as soon as I started that, here comes, it was like lucky doors opening. I met a Korean monk. I met a number of native Indian medicine people, a, a Qigong teacher from Beijing. And I just, all of these, this great knowledge began to come in and, and I was using it to test reality. So we can talk about this later too. The first about five or six years of my search there, that was about 97 that started, was just testing reality, trying to prove, is any of this real? And I thought I got to know, I thought I got pretty smart at that point. Then in 2005, I just finished writing my, my book on ancient Egypt and I fell in a canyon and had a death experience. And when I came out of the death experience, I realized, oh yeah, it's not just reality that's not real. It's me that's not real too. I've, I, I'm as big an illusion as the world. Okay. Now that sent me off on a 10 year, very bizarre, changing, confusing, at times very clear space that took me through writing Falling for Truth. It then took me into, in 2019, writing uh, Exposing the Expositions, which began opening the doors on the historical narrative and lies of our history, in particularly 1800s. And then just as the halfway through this uh, weird two-year insanity, or I guess three years almost now, um, I, I almost went back to the original stuff I was working on. And that is, who really controls this realm? How is this realm really set up? Who created this and why did they create it? And the answers are, are the same as I had years ago, but kind of ignored. It's, it's not good. It, it's not, none of this is here to help us, which is the complete opposite of what we're told. So I wrote, I wrote to exit the cave in a way to begin, uh, hope, hopefully getting people to ask questions about the standard foundational beliefs we've all taken into this world of what we think it is and what we think we are. And as I always say, you know, I don't have the answers for sure what's going to happen after we die. I don't have for sure the answers of who created this realm and why. I've just got the 25 years of my experience and my viewpoint that I'm sharing as a series of questions that I think people should answer if they really want to go deeply. The problem is asking those questions can take you into very difficult places. And it's why a lot of people don't want to do it, because if you really go there honestly, it's going to start churning up a lot of stuff. So. We can go wherever you want to go, guys. And we'll, uh, no, I, yeah. I think that's great. And of course, it brings up the, the real fundamental, which is uh, if we're pretty um, invested in our ego, at least, uh, you know, on the surface level, as far as that's who we are, and then we come face to face with maybe it's not what we think it is, then who am I? And, uh, you know, it can be a little bit disturbing <laughs> Uh, but of course, when you scratch below the surface, it opens up some uh, very um, enlightening possibilities that overcome that level of fear. So uh, yeah. maybe just take off from there. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's, you know, a lot, a lot of people kind of try to tell me your message is really negative. And um, well, it, it is on the surface, but actually, I think the message is quite positive because the end result is the potential finding of our own inner power their own truth of who we are, but there is so much garbage laying on top of us, so many lies on top of us that it's really, you have to get through all of that to start getting to what's really true. And I think as I've come to work on the newest work now, the foundational belief that we all seem to get somehow as a young child is that 
This world was created by a loving God who cares about us. This place was created as a place for us to learn and to grow and to, and to have endless experiences and to make our wishes come true. And then eventually, by making a few good choices, we'll rejoin this good God in a future afterlife and, uh, and enjoy heaven forever. That's the, you know, in different layers, that's kind of what we've all been put together. And so all the rest of our, the way we function and think about the world, I, I know you had James True on a little while ago, and he also had some really good stuff to say about perception and how, and it all, but it all functions from these initial foundational beliefs. And now I've come to see more like the way the Gnostics and the Cathars would come to see it, that actually this realm is a simulated world, a matrix, a Plato's cave, It's and it's made by an evil deity, a, a demiurge, uh, and their archonic realm, and their archonic beings that feed off them, and this is a realm most likely of um, uh, a place that is designed to suck energy out of all of the things that exist in it to, in a sense, re keep repowering the system, that we're just a giant circular Ouroboros of energy going out, energy going in, but no one ever gets out of the loop. And once you begin to see that that could be the possibility of what we are, a whole lot of things start dropping away that's normal exploration. And now you have to start changing your level of exploration. Okay, so if that is possibly true, what does that mean next? Where do I take the examination from here? And that's a perfect example of like life script. You know, why have I had the experiences I've had? Why have I done what I've done? Who made those choices? Is it possible that literally those choices were made more to deceive me rather than how I hope that I get presented to them in the new age community? They're there for my growth. If these things are not actually here for our growth, if we're not actually growing, well, what the hell's going on? It opens doors of some really big questions there. Yeah, uh, you know, it's a little contradictory, too, if you say, okay, there's a benevolent creator, and I think ultimately there is an intelligence that is not malevolent. On the other hand, um, if we have the the sort of the, the more superficial God concept, uh, you know, that's been put forth by religions, then why would that uh, benevolence uh, create a school that's... Uh, uh, predicated on learning from evil, you know, it, it just doesn't make sense. Um, okay, so now to the simulation, I like to get uh, into the more nuts and bolts of things. And, you know, I, I'll be the first one to say is I don't have a clue what's going on. I can't verify anything other than my own experience. Um, and I'd like to dive into more the the electrophysics behind the scenes of maybe how a simulation could be created in the first place. And then maybe even put that to a practical application in some of the things we do in life, which I think is more than possible. But if we are in this kind of uh, construct, is it an overlay? Um, where do these archons come from? Is it akin to what Steiner talks about in the eighth sphere? Uh, you know, any of your thoughts in any of that? Yeah, there's, there's so I, again, I think it's a, it's what it is, is different people are finding different pieces of the jigsaw puzzle and are mm -hmm. sharing each piece. So anyone who comes mm -hmm. and says, I've got the answer, you know, they don't. If someone's coming and says, I've got a piece of the answer, now this is someone you should listen to because not only do they feel they've got something, they've got something that they're sharing. So I think that's the first stage is, is recognizing does someone have something that they're, they're sharing? In my world now view, I guess, the way I've come to see what's going on here is um, yeah, more similar to 
some early ancient Egyptian texts and what you would, yeah, what you would find with Cathars, Gnostics is, is that there is this place, there is this absolute reality, there is this absolute, this totality and divine sparks or pieces of this totality were in a sense, we were tricked into this simulated realm. It's a long story, of course, of how the creation or this emanation, I guess, is how the Gnostics would call it emanation rather than creation. And we became trapped in here. We, we were tempted in and we became, we became enamored with the temptation and we slowly kept sinking layer upon layer upon layer upon layer deeper and deeper. And I think when someone talks about Plato's cave, people tend to think of it only in materialistic terms. They think of it as the material realm, but Plato's cave is this realm, the etheric realm, the astral realm, the super duper realm, the angel realm, the fan, you know, it's whatever realm you can think of where duality exists, that's Plato's cave. So it's vast. And to keep a divine spark in here, which is more like you and I and Mike and everybody watching this right now who truly is human, we have more power than the simulation. We have more power than Plato's cave, individually and as a group, even more. We, we, are, we are all more powerful than the demiurge creator. So think of the work is required to deceive us and keep us distracted and focused on lies and deception in order to not tap into our own inner power. And that begins to also, I think, hopefully tell people how great the deception is. That's one of the reasons it's so hard for anyone to see it because there's so many layers. Like you were talking about, how does someone not see government? How does someone not see the education system? How does, but okay, you burst through that and then you've got, now you've got another layer of well, what is the realm? Is it real? How's it not? Well, how is the system set up? Well, wait a minute, what's in the astral realm? How are these things? Going? Well, what are ghosts? What are archons? What, there's so many layers. And as weird as it is, there's so much work to do. And on the other hand, there's so much distraction. And this is a, a problem I see with so many researchers. They, do, they get really, really good into a subject. They go really, really deep. And just at the point where it should be, I've got what I need to know, they keep going. They keep going in that area. And so they're not going any deeper now. They've, they've come, they've got to that deep point, and they're just staying there. It's important, I think, for people to realize you have to, to, to really get a grip of your own inner power, you have to look in a lot of different areas. If you just look at one or two, you're limiting yourself, no matter how deep you go in those, you have to allow yourself a giant overview of a lot of different subjects, probably a lot of areas you don't want to start. I, I read more books that I probably didn't want to read that turned out to be valuable than I you know, could imagine. I'm thankful that I did. Um, so, th so that's a big part of it. And doing, doing exercises you might not want to do. I did a lot of exercises that the native medicine men and, and the Korean monk asked me to do. And I really didn't want to do them. They were either kind of scary to do or, or they, they sounded difficult, but I trusted the, the value in them. I did them. And by doing them, I found out what the value was in the learning process of doing it. But we're learning, what we're learning here, like you say, it's weird because we're not really learning either. We're just, we're more learning how to keep ourselves stuck here as opposed to what might be the little bits of learning we need to know of how to exit the cave. Yeah. I mean, the and, question, and, go ahead, Bear. No, go ahead. I was just going to say, you know, the main question here is how do we know truth? How do we find truth? Can we find truth on the mental plane? Can we find truth by reading a book? Is truth only accessible through, I mean, obviously we're here mired in the senses, which are deceiving, right? I mean, this is the fundamental right. questions of ontology of philosophy. 
So how are we to, and I think throughout the ages, man has been using mythology to, and the stars and the sky clock to try to express that truth through with within them, right? And the Gnostics with their mythology is quite um, interesting how it relates to the stars. And I almost wonder if it's like a comic book from back in the day that was just a, a, a sort of analogy for our fall of from grace, right? And how true the demiurge even is. But that being said, how do we know truth, Howdy? Like I, I personally believe through personal experience by validating things in our own lives, right? That's the only way we can know. And then then it's a question, is there, uh, is there objective truth or is everything just through personalized experience? These are the great questions that I know um, you love it's to delve good, it's into. It's a good question. It's a good question, Mike. And I, I think Richard Rose, a teacher from the East Coast who died about 15 years ago, he had the best explanation of truth. And that was, you can't go forward towards truth because you don't know what it is. Uh, you have, you know, you have a hope of what it is, but you don't know. All you can do is find false. So you can find what's not true on so many layers and then drop it. You let go of what's not true. And you just keep doing this. You just keep letting go, letting go of false, letting go, letting go, letting go. And then eventually there would be one thing you'll come to that you can't let go of. One thing you will find that no matter how you examine it on no matter what level, there's, there's no way it can be shown to be false. You've kind of, as he said, you've backed your way into truth. So it's it, it's totally opposite how people move try to move towards something and try to uh, justify a, an answer as opposed to saying I have no idea what's true, but we we can all figure out what's not true. You know, if someone's smoking thirty cigarettes a day and they're coughing constantly and they're sick, that's that's false. We can drop that. If somebody is, you know. Uh, there's so many little things we're doing and we start there, but then it gets bigger. We can start asking bigger and bigger things. And it, it's, it's, I think, like you say, it's, you're not going to learn it from a book. You're going to learn it from your own experience and your own digging through of asking, how can I prove whatever this is to have validity? And if, and you'll get some things that are obviously false, some things, I don't know. I'm not sure. I'll just put that aside for now, but eventually, and I can say this from my own life, the deeper I've gone, the less and less things I'm still holding. There's, there's still a few. I've still got a few possible, you know, this might be true, this might be true, this might be true, but it's it's not many left. And I think that's that's the process. It's false we can find. We can let go of false. And on the same method, I think you're also not going to locate truth, which is always within. It will always be, you know, true truth will be the truth you find will be the would be the truth I find. It can't be, it can't be an individual thing. Truth has to be one absolute for everyone and everything at all times and all conditions. But to get there requires an unbelievable commitment. We, we have to be committed to not be thrown off the track, not be distracted, not be scared away from it. We have to gain a tremendous honesty, not with not just with uh especially with ourselves, but that honesty becomes an extremely key part of the puzzle. And then we need courage because the further we're going to go on this path, the more things we're going to find that are not as pretty as we hope they were. And again, it's another possibility where people will turn away. They'll go to a certain point and they'll, and the other one just be, I'll, I'll, and I'll stop here and let you guys get in is generally, because we're talking in a sense of a spiritual path. And unfortunately, the majority of people who get into a spiritual path get into it because they don't feel good. They're suffering. Uh, 
and they're looking for an avenue out of suffering. And there are avenues out of that. There are ways to certainly feel better and, and feel more complete and feel more balanced. The problem is if that's your goal, if your goal is feeling better, once you reach the point where you feel better, that person will stop. Generally, they'll write a few books, they'll set up an organization, they'll gain a bunch of followers and off they go and they'll do fine for the rest of their life. But that's not truth. You know, it's that old Zen saying, when you think you're at the top of the mountain, keep walking. You know, we have to realize that if our goal is truth, then whatever it is, we're going to keep walking until we feel we truly can't walk anymore. And even feeling better would not be a reason to stop our continuation to the finding of truth. Yeah. And, you know, you were mentioning different practices and, uh, you know, different uh, internal arts. And uh, mm. when you get into those, my experiences, it really has nothing to do with mental constructs. Uh, you know, you're going to a place um, where concepts really don't matter. And, um, you know, concepts uh, may stir up emotions, but when you're right. still and you go into those emotions, you realize that everything is basically an empty thought bubble unless that astral plane brings it to life, that's what's right. going to pop it into the matrix. And of course, uh, you can, in those states, reach that place of harmony or stillness and feel better. But of course, if you're really on the path, you don't stop there because you're always going to find something that's going to trigger another level of fear or whatever emotion maybe that you weren't even aware of. And, uh, you know, I speak for myself daily, you know, you, you think you're over something, then all of a sudden, boom, you're triggered and you go, oh, okay. And you learn to say, okay, that I have to go in and deal with that on a, on a very um, inner way. It has nothing to do with my mind. And I think that's where we're at a lot, especially uh, in the world of internet rage these days, where we're all arguing about mental concepts uh, whereas mm. old school, uh, you know, indigenous and Gnostics and so forth, you know, they would go into that place of solitude and just deal with themselves. So, um, yeah, it, it, and, and that's why I got to a point, you know, just like yourself, I've done a lot of research and, and studied in my own way, but then finally came to a conclusion that, you know, I really don't know. And, uh, but more importantly in my journey was, getting to a place where I'm really happy not having to know anything in the first place. And, um, you know, I think maybe that comes a little bit with uh, uh, just the life process itself. And, and I think it's a healthy sign because you're starting to let go of a lot of attachments and then you can really get down to where things are happening in the first place. I would agree. Once, once you, once you're going beyond the, what, what to, uh, trying to become important, trying to become special, trying to trying to have power over others. Once that gets let go of, then that energy is left to do other things. And that energy can be left to find what is it you're really looking for. Uh, story, I, I, this story I've shared many times, but one of the medicine men I met for the first time, I was told to go to his house at like 10 o'clock in the morning, which I did. I went on the reserve and I came in and I said, oh, who are you? And I said, oh, I'm, I said who I was and who suggested I come and meet with him and said, you know, I'd like to do some sweat lodges with you. So I'll sit down. So I went and I sat down on his couch and I sat there. 
and he took some phone calls and some people came over and talked to him. And then he just went outside and did some stuff. And then like, this is two or three hours later. And I'm, it's really getting to me like, you know, like, am I supposed to do something? Am I supposed to say something? Or am I, and I just sat there. I just, I just waited. I waited him out. And after about four hours, he finally just said, okay, come back tomorrow. You know, he was testing me. He was testing me. Could I just be still and wait? Was I going to demand that I take all the focus, all the energy it was all about me? Could I just sit there and I'd be comfortable to wait all day? And I was, I was going to, I was going to wait like the night. I was going to just wait until he had something to say to me. And yeah, I came back the next day. We began my sweat lodges uh, time together. And again, he didn't say much. He didn't say much in all of the sweat lodges we were there. It was, it was usually me, maybe one other white person with, you know, 10 or 12 um, Native people. And it wasn't until there was a, a session that a number of us had driven in from, <clears throat> sometimes would come in, which was in Calgary, where I lived out in the west of Canada. And um, he said, oh, sorry, sweats, clo- sweats, I have to clean the sweat today. No sweat lodge. And the white people are all upset. Like, well, we've come all the way from Calgary. We're here for a sweat lodge. Can't you clean it later? He's like, no, no, it's clean. We have to clean it now. And they, it's a beautiful day. And they said, well, we're just going to go for a walk then if there's no sweat lodge. And they asked me, what about you? You coming with us? And I looked over to Bruce and I said, do you need help with the sweat? He said, yeah. I said, okay, I'll stay with him. So they all left. And as we began cleaning the sweat, he told me, oh yeah, every three months we have to clean the sweat lodge. And what we're doing is we're cleaning away everybody's darkness. We're cleaning away everybody's sickness that's come in here. So it's important that you come and clean away your sickness when you when you come here to the sweat. And I guess he said, well, I guess these people really like their sickness because they didn't want to come back and spend time cleaning it all away. And then as we began taking it down for the first time, he started explaining what the willow, what the willows mean, what the ties mean, what the door means, what the angle means, what the, what the uh, pit means, what the wood means, you know? So it it took me a a long period of time to prove my, um, that I was willing to be a participant and be a willing participant, but not, not, not demand things for myself. And then the doors finally open. I think that's a good, I'm sharing that story because I think that's valuable for everyone in any way we're going looking for something, truth or knowledge is that, yes, we want this understanding, but why do we want it? Do we want it just so we can help others and be of service and be of value? Or do we want it because we're trying to make ourselves important and we're trying to pat ourselves on the back and try to get people to like us? If we're going that route, we're already blocking our possibilities. We're already blocking how far we can go on the path because like you say, there's these egoic blinders inside of us that are part of the churning mechanical energy stealing process. And if we're going to go forward, we need every bit of energy we have available. And that means the more we can put our focus on what am I doing for others as opposed to what am I doing for myself opens far more doorways than we can imagine. Yeah, I mean, that's the key right there, um, you know, is active service to others. The giving nature of this reality uh, is key and that I believe a lot of the quote unquote fall of man, which is what I personally believe we're dealing with. So I'm going to play a little bit of devil's advocate, or I guess God's advocate or heaven's advocate here, Howdy, because I'm known in this community as a half glass full type of character. Um, But I wonder, you know, when we look at, you know, and I know you're very familiar with hermetic, the hermetic principles of, you know, as above, so below transpondence, uh, all those, you know, quote unquote, universal laws. 
you know, we're talking about self-determination here. How are we not to know that the fall, which is what I believe this cycle is about, why there's so much suffering, doesn't have to do with our own free will to choose to fall out of our lack of ability to get sort of in line with our true purpose, our true spirit, our true, our, our true um, higher self. And so we are in this fallen state right now um, due to our own inability and our own in our ignorance to know how we're sp actually supposed to be of service to the grander design. And that design is here to teach us this through the suffering so that we can rise above and ascend out of that. I know that's what a lot of the new age talks about, but they get stuck into spiritual bypass. They get stuck into the sort of um, transcendence modality of I can go into a blissful state and just, you know, get through this instead of doing the work. And it's really about doing the work. And for me in my life, when I've done the work, I've had great rewards and great, great, you know, it's like I looked at, at this world as more of a gym than a prison personally. However, I do get the perspective where you're coming from. And so I wonder, are we talking about great cycles here or even smaller cycles? If we look at the Tartaria perspective and that as we release from that cycle, things will change. Yes and no. I know exactly where you're coming from. And a lot of that I probably would have said myself eight or nine years ago as well. Um, this place definitely goes through cycles. This place definitely, it's it's linked right to like you call the processional sky clock. Um, however, I also think we're caught in a time loop. Part of the sky clock doesn't actually click over. I think there's a, there's a portion that, that literally constantly is just repeating itself. Uh, and I think that's also part of the trap. It's that we're actually, there's a trap in a trap, which is part of the time loop. Uh, however, I've now come to see this place. I call it a suffering pit of hell. And that's all it is. And, and that there are periods where it's less suffering, so to speak, where um, the beings here, not just humans, we're talking all beings have opportunities for a little smoother ride. But to me, this, be this, this understanding really took place when I began to understand uh, what's called the memory wipe, which is once you come to the conclusion that reincarnation is a likely uh, scenario of what happens here, that we're not just getting one life and then and then one out and done and, and you're finished with that, that we are almost guaranteed that the, the proof, there's just, there's just too much verifiable proof now of, of the of reincarnation. So given that we're, we're dealing with reincarnation, we're coming back here and the near-death experiences and people who are getting, who have a, a pre-birth memories are all talk about the cup of forgetfulness in Hermetica or, or you know, this idea that you're, you're, you're forgetting all of your previous lives and you're coming in here. To me, that, that stops this place from being a school right away because you don't go into grade five and forget everything you've learned in grade one to four. You don't have to relearn. Once you've learned how to add one plus one, you don't have to relearn it again. The way this place is set up, I have to keep touching stinging nettle in every single life to burn my fingers, to always keep figuring out the stinging nettle burns my fingers and I need gloves on to pick it. That's actually, that's insane, actually, from the standpoint of learning. Um, again, it's, it's, it's an omnipotent being creating a bunch of ignorant people and then torturing us to make us better. So to me, once, once I've come to see that, okay, that there's, we're not in this place to learn like we think we're here to learn. We're in this place to feed these other beings to keep the system running. Okay, so now if I'm looking at what is there then really to learn? Because there, there's so much, of, it doesn't matter where you look, there's direction of information that says 
but there's important stuff we have to do. Okay, so now can I push aside all the supposed evolution and, and raising of my consciousness and, and, and push all that aside, which is not necessarily bad, it has a value, but if we take this to the deepest level, well, then what is the most useful What's, what's the most useful, what's the most better use of our energy that we have? Because we have finite energy. So what's the best use of it? And now I would say the best use of it is just seeing this place is a, this place is a clown show. And it's revealed itself in the last two years to be a complete one. So uh, I'm not going to, I'm not going to try to fix it or change it because it's, it's designed that way. It's designed to be an insane suffering pit of hell that's you know that's what it's here for in in my world so in my viewpoint now so i i will just so, say so one to thing. try to so so to so, so i yeah. see that to try to fix it is a waste of energy to try to help my my current situation and the people who are with me and my and my current environment that's valuable so that maybe we can find a way to just go home I, i've used this example yeah. and then i'll shut up and let you go well, is um i it's, it's kind of like being at a party where you've, you've it's been an okay party. You've liked it. It's you know, my friends are all there. It's now it's three o'clock in the morning. They're all really drunk and they're laying on the floor and they're, they're trying to keep me there. I'll have one more drink. Come on, just stay and have one more. Like guys, I, I'm done with this. You guys can stay if you want, but I'm going home. I'm going to go home sleep. And that's exactly how I feel about this realm. I've kind of, it, it, it's, it's done. It's, it's finished. It's, it's a allure for me. And I'm just, it's, it's fine. It can stay here. It's fine, but I'm going home. I was just going to say know, one, thing, you... one thing, Bear, that there are supposedly mm -hmm. certain traditions of master, people who have mastered the ability to reincarnate and remember everything and grow from there. We, they, some would call them uh, reincarnation masters. In the East, you know, there are these illumined ones that come back and they're here to teach us. And they actually have figured that out through the growth process and are actually not, you know, drinking the cup of forgetfulness. Anyways, go ahead, Bear. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I know. Uh, there, and then, you know, the Bodhisattva tradition, same kind of thing. But again, it's like, I think you could also do just as much service by leaving the realm completely because then you're not powering it. As long as you're still in it, in a sense, you're still powering it. So I think you're also being a great service to others to, once you leave the cave, there's one less battery that's keeping it running. Just an idea. Uh, yeah, you said a lot. Of, you said a lot of good things here. Um, since uh, you know, I mentioned the astral plane already. It's where the real energy is generated to you mm. know keep the whole thing alive. And and I really believe we are batteries for the system. And when we unplug, then like you say, one less battery. And I also agree. Well, can I ask you a question, Barry? Before you go, before you go quickly, because yeah, you just ahead. brought that up. So I'm going to ask you a question. I've been thinking lately that you know, we're, we're told we're in the third dimension. That's what we're told. We're in the third dimension. And of course the ascension process is to over moving to the fifth dimension and they're, they're ignoring the fourth dimension completely. And I started realizing, I think we're actually in the fourth dimension that our experience, we are actually experiencing the fourth dimension. We're in the astral completely. We're believing we're in the third dimension. And now they're going to try to take us into the fifth dimension, which is not a layer higher. It's another layer deeper. Every dimension is taking us deeper and deeper and deeper in the simulation, not backwards to like 2D and 1D, which would be absolute reality. What do you think? 
Dimensions are, uh, I think, a very misunderstood concept, and we throw that terminology around a lot. I like to default yeah. to you know, more an electrical model, which it's it's more about octaves, mm. and um, there are dimensions within each octave, then we can definitely get stuck in a particular Ooh, octave and keep repeating the same cycle over and mm. over again. Um, I agree with you 100% in that this simulation or overlay, whatever it is, that we're in it's uh i don't know how to describe it it's yeah a clown show it's like homer simpson meets groundhog day um and there's really there's really nothing to fix yeah. here there really is to, and yeah. uh, i gave up a long time ago trying to fix that or some or somebody else yeah. for that matter uh what i can do is change my own experience and uh, i i default a lot also there with uh background in martial arts and internal training and what you learn is how you are leaking energy and identify those leaks yeah. and then gather energy. And then if you are in a moment where you have to use energy, then you know how to meet it out in a very um, judicious way, just enough, not too much. So you can get the job done, but still not yeah. uh, waste energy. So it's all about gathering energy, not being a battery for somebody else. Now, is it possible? Yeah. It's my yeah. belief system, but I can't tell you if it's true or not because I'm not there yet. But I believe just from the uh, the limited experience I've had that you can gather energy and special things do happen. And I believe that's when you can perhaps leave. And, you know, maybe by saying, okay, I'm done with this living hell, which it is a hellhole, you know, I mean, just look around. Uh, there's a lot of wonderful things too. You know, I get a kick out of it at the same time. Of course. You know, it's, it's a real, it's a real life adventure, but uh, I don't want to stay here forever either. But I, I, my, again, my belief system only is that I can exit when I've gathered enough energy. Maybe some people call the at the ascension process. Some of the masters that Mike is alluding to, um, you know, it really doesn't matter on a conceptual level to me, but I believe in the reality of gathering energy and being less affected while I'm here and, and really seeing perhaps the end of the tunnel. And in that process, it might be feel self-centered, but I think it's the best thing that an individual can do is to just stop feeding the monster in the first place. So anyway, go ahead, Howdy. Yeah. No, I, I think you've made some really, really good points that I hope to others would really listening to. And that what's once you, yeah, because I think everybody, once you see that there's something wrong with the world, there's something wrong with reality, our natural tendency is to try to fix it. How do we change it? How do we make it better? And a lot of people have tried for a long time to make it better and it's never worked. And like you say, once to finally, once, oh, I can't make it better, but I can make small pieces of things better. Like you say, I can, or the people you share your wisdom and your knowledge with and, and the things you do and who touch a smaller group that has impact. But as soon as we, I'm going to fix everybody, I'm going to save the world. It's like the system just says, thank you and just sucks all that energy in and it's gone. But when we're working on smaller, uh, on a smaller scale, we can have a great impact. And it leads to me with something, cause I, I shared uh, the first few chapters of my new book with, uh, with uh, Mike and Bear here, but I didn't get in the whole of it. My last chapter is all about Carlos Castaneda's active side of infinity, <laughs> which at first when I read the book, I thought it was about one thing completely. I thought it was I read all of his books. I did a number of the exercises myself. Actually, you know, I did a life recapitulation. It took me four and a half years. I, you know, 
Um, but I thought the book was one thing. And now after going through reading about the, the various near-death experiences, the challenges in the near-death world, the, the, the what you might call archonic gatekeepers that are there, I now realize active side of infinity is like a blueprint for preparing you for your death. It's preparing you uh, while you're still alive to handle what's going to happen there. And I think that also leads to what Bear was getting, was getting to, which was the uh, use of energy well. And I think a good use of your energy is preparation. A good use of energy is trying to realize there's going to be this whole other world, this astral realm that I'm going to have to be dealing with after my death, or if I exit or disappear or move and just move into the next realm, whatever is going to happen. And if we're not prepared for it now, we're going to be very easily to be tricked and deceived. So somebody said to me, well, if the world is so awful, why don't we just kill ourselves and get out of here? And my answer is always because you won't be prepared. You're not going to be prepared for what you're going to experience on the other side. You're guaranteed going to be tricked and deceived and you'll be right back in here. So you've actually gained nothing. Even if your life is difficult, even if it's suffering and like you, I enjoyed the nice moments, but I recognize the difficulty and I don't need the difficulty the world goes through, but use it if you've got it as a tool to learn more. If there's anything to learn, I think it's just to learn what do I need to know so that there's no tricks that can be played on me. So at the very least, when you get to that point and you say, so some might say, I really want to come back. I really want to come back to this realm for whatever reason. Maybe it's altruistic things. I want to, I want to help people. I just want to experience this. But at least you know you're not being tricked and deceived into it. You are so prepared for that moment that you know 100% that is your choice. There's an episode at the end of a, a Star Trek Voyager a CODA episode where the, the commander Janeway is talking to an alien who's pretending to be her father. She's in the process of dying and he's trying to get her into the white light tunnel and move on into the next realm. And she realizes during a, uh, this back and forth attempt that you need me to agree. Uh, you can't force me into the tunnel. I have to agree to go. And so a lot of this preparation of energy is preparing ourselves in any situation, but starting here to really know what the tricks and deceptions are and what to say no to, what to stand in our own power with, what to stand in our own sovereignty and our own authority with and say, if it's a choice, I'm making it fully and completely from my own, from my own side. And I think that's kind of where you were getting to in, in what you were saying too, right? Yeah, pretty much. Um, so we have to go back to the, the main question in reference to the archons, um, just like, uh, Butch Cassidy mm. asked Sundance, who are these guys? <laughs> and, uh, you know, what's, what's up? Where, you know, uh, and, and then as far as the overlay, which uh, I, I, I am a firm believer from certain experiences that there's a, uh, an overlay that, um, you know, is yeah. a construct, a technological construct, maybe. Um, and so, where the heck do these guys come from? And, um, you, you know, uh, there, then there's, uh, you know, the entire universal yeah. fabric of, uh, of, uh, creation yeah. that I would consider there's only one thing and somehow, uh, you know, we've, uh, fragmented into all these alternate realities and individualizations. So what are your thoughts on that? I've had, I had so, like I say, the beginning part of my practice way back 20 plus years ago was all about the testing of reality. So we can start there as that part of your question. And, and my, my, my 
focus started to be how much is my thought creating reality? Not from the standpoint of like law of attraction idea or manifesting what I want, more in a sense of just does the world exist because I think it? That what would happen if I stopped thinking? If I actually had no thought, what would happen to reality? Would, 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 would the world still exist? And it took me about four months of some really intense practice. I was doing about 12, 14 hours a day. It was all I was doing other than the once a week I would do my comedy show to make enough money to live. And then I would just do these exercises. All of a sudden, after about four months, the world started to get non-real. You know, I'd be walking and the river would would become still and the ground would start flowing. Uh, trees would appear and disappear. Castles would show up and then go away. People would be standing in front of me talking and then they would literally be gone and not there. Then I'd walk uh, 20 feet and then they'd be over here on this side of me. And, you know, it, it was just, it got to the point where I actually had to hold on to chairs when I sat down because I wasn't sure the chair was still going to be there when I sat on it. It got to that point where nothing in the world anymore was solid. So then I finally got, oh, all these old teachers are saying the world's a dream. Yeah, I understand now what it means. It's, it, it's, it's non-localized. It's non, it's transparent. And I recognize that it's here because I'm making it here in some way. I'm, 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 I'm producing it in the way that it's, it's coming. It's not just the perception of it. Like, you know, we talk about, well, we perceive the world a particular way. It's bizarre. We're, we're manifesting it and perceiving it at the same time. It's very bizarre how, how deep that is. So once you get through that and you see, okay, the material world isn't that much different than the astral world either, which is, it, like you say, it's a world of energy. It's a world of, of electricity. It's a world of just, it's a world of thought. It's a world of ideas. Now you can see that these it would make sense if you were the controller of a giant computer program, which if we assume this kind of is, it's kind of like a giant computer program. One programmer in no way can control the whole game. So I think the programmer did a couple of really interesting things. The programmer first set up a large number of possibilities because of all the people in the, in the computer world did the same thing over and over. That would be a real boring simulation. So they've created a number of different possibilities, but it's still limited. You know, you and I might have a thousand things we can do tomorrow, which seems like a giant, and it is a thousand or maybe 2,000, 3,000 possibilities, but you and I both can't be the quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys tomorrow. No matter what we do, that's not going to happen. It's not in our program. So we, we also have limited amounts of possibility in the coded into the system. That's one really interesting thing I know. I, so I would say about, though, I would say, Howdy, we could become a quarterback yeah. maybe in a future life. If we put the right thoughts out, it just takes a while. Okay, so <laughs> so there, and and no, but no, no, and that that's a valid point, Mike. Again, I, I appreciate whenever anybody bumps in and says things like this because I agree that's important to think this. If we think this is the only life we have, we're also limiting our ideas. Like you say, I had an experience where I, I realized I died in another life. I realized I died in this body, this life, this experience, and I realized, oh shit, there's like a hundred million me's. There's not just one, which would make sense. If, if as, as some say, the creator of the world, part of what they want is experiences. They want to generate lots and lots of experiences. Well, you would want to have a million me's having a million different experiences in a million different ways. So, so it, opens a, it opens a total question. Somebody might say, look at me. I'm so awake in this life. Look how advanced I am. I've grown so high. Well, what about the 999,000 other me's that are not advanced, that have that, uh, for example, didn't stop drinking, that it stayed just, just the, the, the life I was living before I got into all this. 
So for what I know now, how does that affect the other me that's living in these other realms? And, and yeah, I, I have so many dreams where I wake up from the dream and I realize I've just witnessed a real experience from my life. But then I start thinking, but I know that didn't happen to me in this life, but I know it's a real experience to me. Damn, I'm tapping into a parallel reality where that happened to me, but I'm switching over streams. And once that starts to happen too, boy, doesn't that get confusing to figure out, wow, how do, what have I really done with this person or not this person? Or, yeah. So I've got, I've got like avenues of my life that I know have happened to, to a me, but not the guy talking to you right now, a other version of me. So it's, I know it probably sounds confusing to a lot of people and it can be, but it also opens up so many more doorways of realization and possibility and actually makes me a little more comforted because I made that, obviously I've made done a lot of really good things. I've done a lot of bad things and they kind of will all even out in a million lives. Yeah. Um, you know, you mentioned uh, Carlos Castaneda, who I was an early fan of those books. And of mm. course, in one of his books, he taught Carlos how to lucid dream and, uh, you know, get to the point where if he could visualize his hands in his dreams, then he would, uh, you know, be able to be in his dreams with a, a presence, a prescience. Mm. And um, after reading those, I, I delved into silver mind control this is way back in the you know mid 70s and everything and really got into lucid dreaming which anybody can do it's not a difficult thing you just have to you know write when you get up do the dream and then pretty soon you can't write fast enough to uh you know write down all your recollections and then it becomes uh very lucid literally and so that you have a um, an awareness in your dreams and, you know, a great level of insight that there are indeed, as you're describing, many realities happening simultaneously in uh, even perhaps more real in our dreams than what we think of, you know, on our so-called waking side. You know, there are also some folks that would say that uh, inter-life amnesia um you know, as far as reincarnation is a blessing, uh, because if we remembered all the events of all those lives, we probably couldn't handle it. We're just trying to cope with our creations this time around. And, uh, you know, in my work in medicine, I also came to grips with, uh, uh, you know, in people's health conditions, if there's something very real, we just loosely called entities, which were the energetic mm. byproducts of people's obsessions and in osteopathy there's different names for it we called it energetic cysts and um when you become more aware of those uh you can actually visualize those if you're a practitioner and you're just starting to you know yep. train your vision in a different way so so I guess what I'm getting at is it's uh, it'd be pretty tough for most people to have that total recall and then also see their little interdimensional entourage that they've created. That maybe some of these creatures aren't that, that handsome, you know, well, and and yeah. So yeah, well, that's a perfect perfect example of like Westworld. Yeah. It only mm -hmm. this this place can only work like that. I mean. Westworld is such a good example of this. The, the robots get killed. They get sent back to the cleanup center. They get fixed. They get clean. They get, uh, they, they, you know, all right. And then they get memory wiped. 
so they can go back and get raped and get uh, killed and get used again because Westworld is really the story of Dolores and Maeve who at some point in time begin to remember all of the past incarnations and how awfully they've been treated and they get the realization that I'm done with I'm done with this place I'm done with Westworld this is a place that's just using me so I think for me yeah people would have a hard time handling it if we had to see really all of the all the things not just like we've done but have been done to us in our past lives but the answer should be I think that's number one. We would want, we should know that. There, there's no reason not to know it because that will give us a complete indication of what our realm is. I think if somebody says, I don't want to know my past lives, I don't want to know any of that stuff, then you're indicating, then you don't want to really know what this reality is. It's imp- I think it's important to know it, just like it's important to know, well, if there, if there are these demonic beings that exist in the world, I want to just deny it and, and live in a happy world and pretend, and, and if they, they'll just go away. Well, no, actually, they don't go away. They just find different ways to keep to keep bothering you in your life until you begin to. And again, don't take like don't take my word for it. Look for yourself. Don't you know? Check it out for yourself. Don't not check it because you're afraid of what you might find. Check into it to see if it's true. When I was with Mr. Park, one of the one of the exercises he used to do with us, one of the healings he used to do for all of us, is we would in the morning go one by one into his bedroom, naked, lay down on on a table, and he would take a wooden rice spoon and he'd start smacking our back with the rice spoon. And normally it would just be like a little smack. And every once in a while, I'd be like, why did he hit me so hard? And the person who was with us like, no, he's hitting exactly the same. There's no difference. Well, then what is he doing? And finally we got him because he's Korean. So he didn't speak much English. And we finally got him to tell us what he was really doing. He said, oh, I'm hitting the snake, the head of the snake. What head of the snake? Oh, you have two snakes in everyone's body. One snake takes you top to the top. It's a spiritual snake. The other one takes you into the earth. It's the evil snake. I'm hitting that the head of that snake. Okay. But a week after that, same thing was going on. He's doing the rice spoon and he hits me on one on the shoulder. And again, unbelievable pain. And then I felt this slithering thing going through my arm, mm-hmm. a, a snake moving through my arm. And I realized, oh shit, he, he's not, he's not making this up. This is like, this is what he's really doing. He's actually weakening what you might call the dark force or the, or the, yeah, the, the, the demonic force that's in our beings. He's weakening that. And he said, I'm not going to kill it for you. I'm going to weaken it so that you can, when you're stronger than it, face it full on yourself. You can face your own darkness, your own inner, your own inner demon, and you can overcome it. And you can, you can be the one that gets rid of it. Not me. I'm just helping you to make that great choice in your life. And he said, if you go on in this path, you will come to that point where you'll you'll meet it face to face. And you need to be stronger than it. And if you are, you'll banish it from your life forever. So it's it's getting a, a, the, the roundabout answer for that is, yeah, it can be scary to go into this stuff. It can be very disturbing. But like anything, the end result is the possibility of, if you see that it's true, and if you find way to be even more powerful than that, and remove it from your being and remove it from your existence, you regain your totality, you regain all of your power again. And that's really what this is all about. So it's okay to see the dark, it's okay to see the dark stuff, because actually the good stuff is on the other side of it, the really good stuff's on the other side of that. It just most people choose a little piece here. Oh, this stuff is okay. It's like, yeah, but the stuff over there is really good. It's just a hard journey to get to it. And so most people just turn left and ignore it but 
uh, the ones that did, are going through that process. And uh, I, I feel like I, I, I can't have enough kind words to say because I know how hard the journey is. And I feel so, so honored whenever they share their story with me, when they send me an email and tell me how their life has gone or what they've been doing and the things they've done to overcome extreme difficulty and extreme suffering and how they've risen levels in their life. It, it just, it, it just, I have so much joy when I hear the stories of what others have achieved. And, and again, I think that's why I come up and talk about all this stuff and write these books, because I know it's possible for everyone. It's just uh, moving in the direction that's right for you, moving on the path that's right for you, and feeling confident that you can reach your goal, whatever that is, that you have the power to do it. Yeah, doing doing the shadow work, we talk a lot about on this podcast. And in Western cultures, there's a lot of this sort of spiritual bypass, right? Especially in the spiritual community yeah. where you're not they're not facing it. But we are seeing, I think the convid uh whole uh debacle for the last yeah. two years was a global slap in the face of hey, time to look at the shadow, like you for all the decades of, you know, looking the other way, as you're saying, turning left, well, the reality will smack you in the face when it's time to look into it and face it. Uh, and so, uh, yeah. And speaking of shadows, when I was really in my teenage years, diving deep into lucid dreaming and to out astral projection, whatever that really is, but I was in these, these other sort of very lucid dreams. I was, would return to this sort of temple, like a Greek temple place. And in the far distance, right on the, sort of side of my um, eyesight always, just on the periphery, I would see a shadow figure. And it was okay. what I considered maybe my watcher, uh, but it, was a, it wasn't it was a feel good thing. And it kind of freaked me out. Yeah. And so, I, I, and so I, yeah. I quit, I quit doing that work. And I actually started engaging more in cannabis yeah. in college as a buffer against that, because it kind of deadens your dream state. And I'm now yeah. starting to, finally come to the grips of i need to face that shadow and see what the hell that thing was and maybe open up into other realities i bring this up because there's this important point of that we are in only one type of reality right now as we were mentioning before howdy there are many many different consensual realities bob monroe who you talked about in your yeah. book he he was yeah. able to actually show this scientifically through his astral projections of different consented type of realities that exists. So maybe this is yeah. one specific soul trap reality, right? Of a reincarnate reincarceration reality. And that in fact, there are so many others out there that we can appreciate and experience. Uh, there's this, there's this movie called everything everywhere all at once. Have you seen this? It came out this year where it's a, I know Marshall all about it, but I haven't seen it, but I know about the movie. Yeah. And, and they really engage in this. I, and I would say this is a very Gnostic movie, a pop Gnostic movie, if you will. And so they found a way to hack the system by doing something completely out of scope of the time um, of sort of like the, the, the time frame that you're in by doing something so crazy that, that the reality is tricked that you could leave and go into one of these other, I guess they call it the multiverse, which I see as a scientism inversion or, or a, 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 a scientism materialistic perspective of the quantum. But yes, of the fractal nature of reality, it's a fascinating film because it shows that, you know, this idea that we could potentially hack the system to exit and go experience these other realities. Yeah, I think there's two two really good points you made there. One, I would agree. There's there there are multitudes of 
possible realities and worlds available in the giants of Plato's cave. And some of them are, would have to be really good. They would have to be. And so you, you have to wonder, well, it, why not pick that? You know, <laughs> why not, why not, why not learn how to gain the, gain the power to pick that? And the other is this idea of hacking the system. And I think when we talk about what these ancients were doing, when you look at some of these, the early Egyptians and um, the, the Toltecs or the Maya or the early Hindus, or, you know, the people who built the stone circles up here in Scandinavia, where I am, I think that's what they were doing. They, they were in their own way through many cases, through geometry and mathematics and through various uh, frequencies and sound, they, they, they managed to get right to the code of the mainframe. And I think they learned either how to you know, bypass the code completely potentially and remove themselves from the game. I think that's maybe what happened to the Maya and the Anasazi and a few others that just seemed to disappear. They may, and others would have learned how to alter the code. Because if you, if you know the code and you have access to it, you can alter it. And then we've just talked about reality is transparent. It just, it'll, you know. So I think that's what we were also seeing that a long time ago, more people had direct access to the code than are today. And my guess is a lot of the things we've gone through in the last couple hundred years, you know, we can get into the history of as well, if you want to talk about some of the weird history we've had to live through. Um, I think it's been closing more and more of these doors for really aware conscious people to access the mainframe code directly and our last two years which has been so insane i don't think it's by accident i i don't think that this this craziness that we've been under is just random random choice starting in 2020 i think it's because there's a portal or a doorway or an opening right now where there there's there's access to information available access to knowledge access to transformation unlike anything that's been around for a long time and i think a lot of this what's going on is on, on one level it's designed to distract everybody to such a level just drop their vibration drop their fear level just put them into day to day into the insanity so they miss the doorway. And then all of a sudden, whatever was the year to the door will close and we go back to a difficult time to do all this work. But right now, the the, the people I think who are really serious, at least the, some of the ones I've seen, they've done in two or three months what used to take people 20 years. They have literally yeah. had so many advances. They've moved so quickly right now. I think there's as crazy as it is, there's no greater time for us to have been alive because we have the access to everything now is beyond. And there's there's so much so much now because it's so crazy. So many people are really going to start asking, wait a minute, I'm going to maybe suspend my beliefs and I'm going to look deeper. And if you do look deeper, those doors are waiting for you to find things you've that yeah, might take you 20 years. You can do it in two weeks now. I'm so glad you brought that up, Hadi, because um, I absolutely agree there, there, there is this slipstream available right now. And as we are yeah. going through these cyclic repetitions, um, yeah. we are approaching an octave, which opens a portal into that next octave. And uh, uh, I've been engaged for a long time. Many of us have in different technologies, and we are most definitely hacking the grid uh, you know, we do that right here on the farm. You know, we can measure the energy grids. We can interrupt um, uh, ley lines that are not beneficial, that I have my own thoughts of where they come from in the first place. We can neutralize things in the sky. We can create um, our own energy grid that is absolutely capable of overcoming 
um, you know, any of the other things that are deliberately trying to impede us. We can go into the chemistry lab and resurrect the knowledge that the old ones had in alchemy and, uh, you know, actually manipulate matter through all the stages of the ether and create very powerful things that will help ourselves and help others. Uh, but then also, just like even they say biblically, we would come to a certain point, which, and, and again, I'm not a Bible scholar and I don't take things literally, but I think there were some truths in that we're at that point where we're all here to make a choice. Do we want to, you know, do the the big jump or do we want to just keep going round and around into the, you know, Groundhog Day? And that's pretty much where we're at right now. And uh more information, technology, everything available than any other time. And no coincidence either that uh, more fabrication and, and nonsense and clown world just, I mean, it's ludicrous. Anybody that can still take it seriously, let alone really get um, you know, vehement about it, just, uh, you know, blatantly is saying, hey, I don't want to leave. I'm afraid to go somewhere else. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you talked about the, the the powers that are available that we have access to. Of course, like I say, here in here in, in Scandinavia, there's I found hundreds of stone circles. Most of the population doesn't know about them. They they they'll still, they would still fly to England to go to Avebury and Stonehenge. They don't go to the ones outside their door. But I give an example. There's one that I've kept hidden in the forest. I, I tell almost nobody about it. I want to keep it sort of clean. Um, and there's a gentleman I took with me there. He's about 80 years old and he had always had a bad back, but I took him into that stone circle in 10 minutes. His back was healed to the point that he could actually start running again. And he would be fine for about two or three or four weeks. And then his back would start to get sore. And he would just go back to the stone circle, stand there for 15 or 20 minutes and his back would be fine. He's been doing this for like seven or eight years. That's all he has to do to keep his back healthy is just spend time in the circle. And when we begin to see the the energies and the possibilities that actually do exist here, if we're open to them, if we are willing to tap into what's here and recognize, and there've been, like you say, so many people before us who knew a lot more than we do, we can borrow what they've done and what they've shared with us. And at least, you know, okay, I'm saying a lot about, yeah, it's a, it's a suffering pit of hell and I want to get out of here. Yeah, that's true. On the other side of it, while we're here, we should use the, we should take advantage of the possibilities that exist that are here. We should take advantage of the energies and the systems and the ways, like you say, of hacking into the matrix to help our reality and, and be of value to those around us. So it's like, can you balance both on the same side? Can you be doing valuable work and, and, and healing and helpful work here? And at the same time and say, but at the same time, I don't need to stick around anymore. I'm going to, I'm going to make sure I'm done with this. Can you, for me anyway, can you do both? So again, I'm glad you brought, cause that's also part of it. That's part of this whole package. It sometimes can be lost in the people begin to focus on the, well, I just should get out of here. Well, no, you, you also want to use your experience while you're here at the same time, take value of it, prepare, be of, be of service. And then you're leaving with a very clean conscious uh, when you, when you do go. The movie. Yeah, uh, I, I believe they're one and the same, actually. Yeah, they're not mutually yeah. exclusive at all. Yeah. I was just going to say, on to that point, mm -hmm. the movie Groundhog Day has been brought up a few times. How does he exit in the end? He exits in the end by through, and not to sound cheesy, but through love, pure love, right? He he loves the woman. He, he figures out finally in the end that not to be a selfish a hole, 
and uh, not to to be an immoral piece of you know crap and to let go and to just fall into love. And the love principle, you know, in a, the hippies in many ways had it right, even though they were practicing a lot of bypass and all that. So yeah, there is something to be said, you know, to the universal nature of love and and letting go. And um, you know, well, we the problem is we don't see the we don't see the story continue. So we don't yeah. see well. What did the, what did life really become? We oh, like the, it's happily ever after. Everything was wonderful. Well, how do we know we didn't start a new time loop the very next day? We don't see the next. We, we like, you know we're you're also we're, all these weird things we're seeing in a bubble. That's why I think Dark City is a really good movie for us because we see how Dark City ends, where John Murdoch takes over the city, gets rid of all the strangers, all the aliens, brings the water, brings the beach, brings whatever. But everybody is still in the world. They're still stuck. They still don't know where they came from. They're still, they're in a happier world, but they still don't really know anything. And once you realize that the Matrix movies is really Dark City, or you might say Dark City is Matrix number one. So the the one that they speak about before Neo in, Dark, in, in the Matrix was John Murdoch of Dark City. So for all the things that, that uh, John Murdoch seemed to accomplish, you know that in a thousand years, what has become is the destructive area. And even the area, when you look at Zion in the Matrix movie, that's the place the strangers lived, or the Matrix, the the the, uh, the Zion in the Matrix is the, where the strangers lived in Dark City. So we know it's the same world. It's the same reality. So we have this really difficult piece of, it looks like we're doing something to get out of the cave, but are we just moving to a finer layer of the cave Exiting the cave is such a, because you're not here. You can't be in the reality and be out of the cave. That's the challenge. That's the challenge that's so hard for people to get. You can, you can, there's a difference between improving your experience in the cave and exiting the cave. And I don't want to go into too much more detail than that, but it's just to get people to think about all of these ideas of what does exiting the cave really mean? And it's, far more it's far more drastic than i think people want to believe the only thing i so, would say uh, to that real quick on the matrix side is uh howdy definitely check out if you have some time we've interviewed tom outhouse who's who's has some pretty definitive evidence that he was the actual creator of the matrix oh, and then in fact holly weird stole it all from him and inverted it and that's one thing I want to caution people about these movies is, yeah, there is some would say soft disclosure or there's this idea of cons we consent tacitly through them into the matrix itself. But also we got to remind Holly Weird is there to mind control and to sort of deceive. So we have to be very cautious when looking at film as someone who worked in film for 10 years and have yeah. discernment when we do look at these films and question what really is the motive there behind um stuff like this but definitely check out tom's tom's stuff because you really start to see the matrix in many in a different way when you see what they yeah. did and hacked it so i don't know if you've heard of him there's a not. gentleman there, yeah there's a gentleman that helped me out but i actually have seen part of that interview that you've done by the way just so you know mm. um i watched a few things you've done to, to warm well, up and i did watch that it was very part of it was very interesting a gentleman named David Skoma, because he he's oh he's claimed that Donnie Darko is the greatest spiritual movie he's ever seen. I've, heard, I've seen and, that, yeah, yeah. And his, and his preparation and his something he told me because he he edited one of my other books was that the people who wrote Donnie Darko and directed it they didn't do anything with the universe made the movie. The universe literally took them over to get a message out into the world, and that's where I realized okay, there's 
certain movies that I can track through time that is the universe speaking that you might say is the true God, you might say, or is is the God on the on the Sistine Chapel ceiling reaching his finger toward Adam. They're putting this information into certain movies and you can track them through time, which ones are and which ones aren't. So yeah, I, I found like Donnie Darko's one of them. I found um I found a uh, uh, American Beauty, bizarrely, is one of them because it has so many of, uh, of those references. The, the television show Lost, that was another one that had a number of these things in it. But like you say, Mike, eventually I over say, time, uh, especially it's a television Twin Peaks too, maybe. Twin Peaks, that's another one. There's a number of these ones. The problem is, especially if it's a TV show, over time, then like you say, then the, the egoic minds and the, the people involved begin to take over control and block what the universe is doing and change the message. So it's also, yes, seeing which ones are the messages where the universe is getting stuff out and how much did it make it, did make it through. Don't assume, oh, this is a movie coming from the universe. Like you said, don't assume then the whole hour and a half is from the universe. Assume maybe 75 minutes of it is and 55 minutes is from some sort of deception. So it's also a process of, if you're watching the Truman Show, yeah, there's lots in the Truman Show, but how much is real information of understanding our reality and how much has been slipped in there as deception to screw us around. So it's even watching movies, another one like Pleasantville, it's another movie I found with a tremendous amount of information in it. But like you said, Mike, it's not all there. As you know, there's stuff that gets put in by people to distort a, a true message that's in it. So it's actually, even to watch one of these movies is a job, it's work, it's practice. It's an actual part of practice. It's not entertainment. Uh, you have to you have to discern just as good as you do with a book or just as good as some teacher sitting in front of you talking to you. How truthful are they? What should I listen to? What should I not listen to? Man, I wish I could go back. So, to my so how do you... Um, yeah. So, Heidi, could we use this as a segue into uh, the larger, uh, grander movie, which is uh, manipulation of the historical timeline? I know we're, uh, you know, have a short amount of time here, but um, uh, I know you have a lot to say. We can, say we about can take that. a bit. So, you know, if there's something you want to talk about, we take a bit. Into of time. It a bit. So yeah. Yeah. Sure. What would you What would you like to talk about specifically in the historical? frame well well you know of course i've i've watched some of your things just everything from tartaria to the manipulation of uh you know time itself and and just the deception mm. of uh when things really happened uh you know and and just keeping us in uh in a concept that things uh you know were maybe a long time ago when in reality they really weren't right. and so uh you know just more maybe an overview of uh what that sure. does to our whole conceptual framework to begin with yeah i i'm so i took my history i took my uh, university degree in history so i actually trained as a historian and while i was a bit controversial even then with my professors i can't believe there were so many things i took at face value when i went through university and while i wrote the book on on ancient egypt and sort of broke through the archaeological ideas and realized well most of what all the archaeologists say that's a lie i still believed history really strongly and it wasn't until I had been to Florence and I was studying cathedrals there, looking to how they operated as machines, not as, as spiritual temples, I bumped into the Chicago World Exposition. And when I bumped into the exposition and realized we're talking 700 acres of buildings supposedly built in two years and then instantly destroyed as soon as it was over. And then I saw this again and again and again and again all over the world. 
it indicated to me something is really wrong with that historical narrative. And then, yeah, once I looked into it and realized how bizarre that whole thing is, and then how bizarre that whole time period of history is, and then you start realizing, holy smokes, if that whole time period is false, I just start looking at any time period, it's false too. And that's where it starts to, I think, break into us because all of our all of the things we believe about our present is based on history or based on the story of history we've been told and that particular narrative is the is the guiding force that we can explain why a government is the way it is why we use money why we drive cars what what doesn't matter what it is right it, it's there's a historical reason why we're here and if all of a sudden you start digging into this stuff and realize it's not that I would find the truth I'm just finding it's all a lie well, then there's no explanation actually for why things are the way they are now. And if we look into the past and can start seeing, wait a minute, things seem to be much better than they are now. There seem to be a much more time of openness or balance or healing or better energy or people seem to be treating each other better. Then why are we living in this? And I've, then I started to realize, oh yeah, there's a giant, yeah, there's a giant lie being fostered on modern people because if we started to realize history was a lie and we started to realize there were times in the past where humans, humans, not aliens, humans created amazing things energetically and mentally, we would all be demanding, well, we want to have that now. And one of the only ways we can have this kind of locked in, controlled, um, very simplistic society is to block away the possibility that humans were far greater than we could imagine in our past. That would be the simple answer to the whole overview of the work. No, that was that was perfect, exactly what we needed. And I know I, I got you, hit you up with that at the last moment in the conversation here. And it's a huge topic, but I'd love to do a part two on that someday because it's uh, something that we have great fascination for. Uh, one, one last question. Have you ever heard of a, a book called The Red Lion? No, but I like the title already. Why should I know about it? Well, it was written by an author, a woman uh, in Eastern Europe, and it's a it's one of those oldies that's been around for quite a while. And okay. it's a story of an apprentice to an adept alchemist. And the alchemist had discovered the elixir of life. You know, he was uh, very advanced. Yeah. And the uh, apprentice knew that. And the adept also knew that the apprentice was going to steal it from him, no matter how much he was admonished that he wasn't ready for it. And so okay. he succeeded. He actually killed the master, took the elixir, and uh, took it internally. And from that point on, he had no um, amnesia between embodiments. He had full recollection in the astral realm, okay. even when he didn't have a body. And he had uh, many go-arounds mm. where he actually had to suffer facing his demons head on uh, all of his right. past creations, including being able to visualize every single moment, all the entities that he had created from his, uh, you know, his past experiences. And right. in the long run, I won't, uh, you know, tease the whole thing out, but he um, accelerated his ability to leave, you know, the simulation but it was right. a living hell and forced him to just uh, do things that he really wow. wouldn't have been ready for otherwise. 
thank you for sharing that. That's like, I'm going to, I, I'm going to look, I just look quickly while you're talking on Amazon. I see it's like hard to get and expensive, but I'm going to try to track down where that is. Um, there's an interesting thing that ends my book, uh, which is the green lion eating the sun, another famous mm. alchemical uh, plate. Um, I might have it for people who don't, yeah, I've never seen it actually yet. Yeah, there it is for the people who don't know what I'm talking about this particular famous alchemic image. And I got this, I got a very weird package sent to me about a year ago from an alchemist, obviously some sort of alchemy type guy. And he sent me these very mm-hmm. strange symbolic stuff in a package, one of which was a poem all about the green lion eating the sun. And I came to realize that what's that? That's a very deep part of the process, a very late part of the process where the green lion representing the material us, the, 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 the natural us, the, the soul of us, and by eating the sun, what we're eating is the, we're in a sense eating the matrix. The soul, rep, the sun in this case, representing the, the light of Lucifer, which is keeping that. So by eating it, we're actually, we're ingesting the totality of the knowledge, right? We're ingesting the totality of the matrix and therefore it has no more control over us because we are it now. It's not external to us. We are, and that's, that's I haven't mentioned this yet because I haven't got into prayer or any of these other topics, but it's all about for me anyway, turning our attention away from outside and authority outside and asking for favors outside and and turning it all here, realizing that all we need is right here. We have all that and we have to just take what we find outside, ingest it, turn it into ourselves, so that we become like the green lion. So now that you've added the red lion, which would be finishing, finishing stage of the alchemic process, now I'm seeing, okay, I get a sense there's something else in that book that I'm missing in my own knowledge that somewhere in that book will probably give me this extra little piece of uh, a late stage of alchemy. So I wanted to share for everybody the, the story of the green line. So if you bump into that image, you know what it is. And we should all go take a look at the green, uh, the red line and see what else we can figure out. Fantastic. And can you uh, share any of your other books that uh, we should know about where we can find your work and um, and any websites or any other things you'd like to tell us about? Sure. Uh, the well, Exit the Cave right now is still just as of today, it's a, still is only a, a PDF ebook. You would get that at my website, egyptian-wisdom-revealed.com. Terrible name, I know, but if you Google my name, you'll find it. Um, and it's a it's for now it's, a, it's like a five dollar donation and you can have the book as a pdf it should be ready in print form in about a week a week or two so it'd be ready to to order and i'll have an audio book i'm hoping by december the first assuming the internet is still running by december the first and i mean uh i think we're going to get one hell of a surprise in november one way or another so i'm letting one of the things i'm saying to people and i'll tell about my other books as well but I, i'm just suggesting to people wherever you are if there's something you feel that's important, be it a book you want to have or something on the internet that you feel you want to have access to, get access to it now. Save it, store it, print it. Get the book you want. Don't assume that in three or four months, all these things will be available. We don't know for sure. So yeah. take advantage of the opportunities you have now to get the information guaranteed in your hands that you want. So I'm just sharing that with people to, to, you know, I'm not saying just, I'm not saying that to buy my books. I'm saying that if there's anything you think is important, go get it. Uh, the three other books that I wrote before this on these topics, one is The Power of Then, Revealing Egypt's Lost Wisdom, which is a look at hermeticism and alchemy in the ancient world and, um, and the energetic structures. Uh, Falling for Truth, which is 
revolving around my death experience and the, the what revealed itself from the death experience. And then the, the book we were just sort of talking about exposing the expositions, which is all about the world's fairs and the very strange orphan trains, world uh, you know, city fires, uh, everything else that goes along with the 1800s. And those, at least you can track the books on Amazon and then, but they're available at any, any, any source that interests you to buy them. You can buy them at whatever bookstore you, you would want, but that that's a message I would share to people now is don't think the world is going to be in four to six months the way it is now. Have your, so not just prepared, like people think of prepping, oh, I'm going to have extra food, extra water, but they put what about the key information that you're going to want to read again and again or dig into or have that as well? Make sure that's not lost because it's one of the, it's one of the reasons I, I put my books into books that I don't just put them all as uh, talks on the internet because I feel if something goes crazy in the world, in this reality, books have a better chance of surviving long-term. They'll sit in an attic. Somebody will have it in their box. Somebody will have it in their basement. And maybe in 80 years time, Somebody will come across one of these books from one of us that have written it and say, wait a minute, this is this is stuff I've never heard of before. And maybe, maybe something I'm writing now will have an impact 100 years on somebody in the future. That's kind of a hope for putting it in print in my world. Beautiful. Fantastic. Beautiful. Yeah, I I've always said books is maybe the greatest technological achievement of mankind, if you think about it, because it allows mm. a singular thought to transcend time and space in a way, yeah. right? Or at least yeah. time. Yeah. Uh, beautiful, yeah. brother. Beautiful talk. Uh, James True jumped in the chat. I don't know how long he's been here. He's been loving the, the talk today. Great to see James in there. And a lot. Yeah. Of say hi to him for me. I really, I like it. I'm telling him if you're seeing, I really like your stuff. I love your presentation. We should talk sometime. Yeah. You guys connected would be awesome. Be great to see you guys uh, do a little online powwow. That would be a lot of fun. Um, yeah, and thanks so much, Howdy, for the time today. I'll make sure your books are in the show notes below. Guys, go please support Howdy's work. Buy, buy his books. Um, he's got a phenomenal YouTube channel where you pop in in your bathrobe and spits word, spit words of wisdom. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's uh, a really good time. And actually, on the Red Lion tip, uh, Brian Scott, who's got a really cool YouTube channel where he just reads books, he actually reads that. Yeah. So if you guys want to oh. just listen to it, Brian Scott, who is does a pretty phenomenal job at narrating books, Bear, he even narrated the, some of the green books, Unveiled Mysteries and stuff, oh, wow. some of our favorite mm -hmm. stuff. So uh, yeah, check that out. Thanks for the tip in there in the chat. And guys, appreciate and love you. Howdy. Thank you so much. Um, any actual, do you have like a central place that people can go to find, like I was trying to find like your, a central place that you are the most active in it, whether that be telegram or, or do you do any of that kind of stuff or not really? Not yet. No, I've realized okay. that I do need to, to form a community somewhere that mm -hmm. we need to move. I'm obviously moving off YouTube and those other things. And so yeah. I, I'm hopeful within a month we have something like that. I'm just not sure which is going to be the platform yet, but there will be yeah, in about a month. Beautiful. Well, please reach out to us and let us know because we would, I know Bear and I would love to be involved with that and stay connected and uh, support you in that way and, and, and let our community know where your community is. Because really, that's been one of the greatest gifts since the COVID debacle is uh, everybody creating their own micro communities and those communities joining together and creating a larger global community of thought of free thinkers. So, um, 
Very good, Howdy. And I, I just wanted and I just wanted to comment just how good you guys how, how much work you guys are doing with the farm aspect as well, with with really good growing of, of, of what you're doing out there. I mean, I have a small farm, I, I grow a little bit, but so I know that the, the challenge it is to to grow large scale and, uh, and and in an ecological way. And I just think, you know, you guys are doing a great job with that. And I just wanted to acknowledge it as well. Thank you. Thank you. And, you know, we put great effort into it because it's, uh, you know, especially at this point in my life, it's one thing I can, you know, at the end of every day, see tangible results and have a, a real feedback system outside of my own, uh, you know, experience that, um, you know, this is really the way things work. I can take what I grow, go into the lab, uh, actually, you know, precipitate uh, matter from the energetics, from things that we grow and rainwater and so forth. And, you know, that's why, uh, you know, as you were saying, the old school knowledge coming back and, uh, you know, it is that window of time. And and I think there's, uh, it's really time to get back to the trades, you know, the original trades of alchemy and, and electrophysics and agriculture and, you know, uh, uh, all those great things. So thank you for acknowledging that. And thank you so much for being with us today. This was uh, way too much fun. And uh, let's, let's definitely stay connected. I'd love to do it again someday. So um, uh, anyway, we can support your wonderful work to just holler. So this was, this was great. Thank you. Let's all Thanks, meet guys. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. Let's all meet at the next world's fair. Okay, guys. Uh, We'll see you next week. Um, and same bat time, same bat channel, 10 a.m. Pacific time. Love you all. Remember to get outside, get your feet in the dirt, go for a hike, go plant something. Mother Nature uh, is a great teacher. So go show her some love. Okay, you guys, get, smash the thumbs up. Share this with your friends and family. It really helps us out. Thanks, guys. Love you all. See you next time.